Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to Copfather. I'm Craig Rommel, along with my buddy, Dennis Cornelius. How you doing, man? Good, broski. How are you, man? Wendy Green reached out to me. Wanted to know how it was going. Wendy was the producer of our show, The Bridge, with CTV and CBS. And I've met, and Dan, as you've met, the toughest sergeants in law enforcement in the world. They do not stand up to Wendy Green. The lovely, beautiful drill sergeant, Wendy Green. She ran a ship, multi-multi-million dollar operation with 400 people coming and going, it was the best move I ever made by having her produce our show for us. She, she was the real deal, man. She was a top, top shelf professional. She's probably the best uh, producer I ever uh, worked for. Sometimes we had to stand up to the network. She was right beside me. I had to, yeah. I had to say, you know, Wendy, slow down, take it easy. She was so honest. What we had to go through was to get this thing on air at the same time, we were so lucky because it's so hard to put a show on major networks, biggest networks in the world, and the numbers are staggering for the amount of people that try this. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I told you, when I was in a film school in 93, and I started writing my first screenplays just to get to know the craft, the Writers Guild of America was registering 35,000 screenplays a year. And that's in 1993. And the studios were only making four to 500 motion pictures a year. So in the early 90s, after, you know, Reservoir Dogs and the whole independent films, everybody stopped law school and went into film school to make it big. And it's like trying to get into the NHL to get a project to be read to be approved by a team of network executives, to get the financing, to put it all together is like creating a country map. It was, you know, it took, and then this network gets bought out by that one. And then those projects are all put back in development hell. It was, the fact that we got the first pilot done was a miracle. And then obviously that winter, January, Oh nine, we went. Uh, we flew to LA, and you did the circles with uh, CBS and and everybody else. And CBS, we found a home there. But it, when you say all-consuming, bro, those four years, we lived and breathed cop stories. Yeah, it was a massive undertaking that I never understood, and I think that's what helped us. I'd never done this before. You know, to to relive it. And the people in the industry are going to appreciate this and understand. It wasn't frustrating because we were always walking on cloud nine that we're, God, we're, we're, we're doing this. We're doing Hollywood. Like it was inc incredible. And literally a year before 
we started looking into it. I wasn't even planning on doing it. It just came by chance. And we got picked up by Chum. I think we had an order of 10 hours, 10 shows. And then immediately after that, Globe Media, CTV, came in and bought out Chum. And we were ready. We had an order. And we had to start all over again. And when Globe Media came in, one of the most interesting persons I've ever met in my life, Yvonne Fasson. Yeah. Real gentleman. Tough as nails. But I, I feel I hit it off with him, and I, I was one of the persons, including you, who I did trust in the industry, who for most of the time would say something would happen. And, and then we were picked up, large amount of money in the millions to go with Chum. Everybody was happy. And then we had to go through the whole route all over again. All over again. With CTV. And Fasan made sure we did it. At the time, I had my uh, partner, Adam Shirley long-time producer, and we were up against it. What I remember are the fascinating people I met. With all the bullshit we had to put up with, and I'm talking about industry bullshit, which is the norm, I don't think we ever had a bad day. I never went to bed thinking, oh, that was a lousy day. It was always like, I can't believe we're doing this. Even going through and renegotiating with CTV. And then... Yvonne supporting us 100%, loving the concept and the idea of a show, allowed us to do the pilot, and then he was our biggest cheerleader with CBS. And then we had to go through it all over again with CBS in, in Burbank. It was an incredible ride. You know, at the same time, we had a lot of fun. I, I made sure we're going to have fun out of this, and, the, the you know, the cop humor and the street-level shenanigans, I made sure we didn't miss out on that. It was one of the best experiences of It my was life. a euphoric time. I was just grateful to get out into that writer's room with these seasoned writers, Peter Mohan, Tracy Forbes, uh, Graham Manson, John McFetridge. Who were and turned out to be rock stars in the industry. Yes, yes. Uh, they all were, um, uh, Manson's show with Fawcett. Um, Orphan Black. It was a privilege, man. We were getting paid to write these great stories and exchange ideas. And, you know, the most exciting part for me, bro, was um, on top of working with these talented people and building my own craft. When we went out to LA to get the thing going with an American network, to return to Los Angeles, that, those streets where I basically slept on a couch for a couple of years of my earlier life, and to go back with a, a TV series and, you know, we had money, we had uh, credit cards. We had the hotels, the cigar lounges, the drives through Malibu, Santa Monica, early morning drives, getting a coffee and seeing and blanketing Los Angeles, uh, driving out to the desert. It was, you know, for me, it was like literally the funnest time I've ever had in, in the industry. And very quickly, people wanted to see us. All, for that short period of time in our lives, people wanted to see us. Alan DeFiore. Yes. Head writer of the show. What a yep. super guy. Very successful in the industry. Sure. I knew when I interviewed him right off the bat, the first time I interviewed him, I'm trying to think where I might have been at Laszlo Barna's office when the first time, because Laszlo wanted him bad as the head writer. Yeah. And I hit it off. I knew he was just, he, his passion for it. He understood it. It was a very complicated story. Nobody ever done cop union cop stuff before. Yeah. So we're trying to, creating the template and he got Alan got it and I remember many times going into the writer's room 
over several months and sitting and listening to the writers because we we had to be careful we were a network mm-hmm. probably the only mistake we should have gone gate cable but it yeah. is what it is and i'm like no you want to hear how it happened this is how it happens you don't do everything he just told us <laughs> yeah or or anybody that was there i would say no no okay let's do the let's do the network story which is really nice and soft and let's yeah. let's do the cable story which is what happened because we we're just saying, listen, here's a scenario. This is what happened to me. This is this. And then we had to do the Hollywood spin most of the time because we were a network. We had to bring it down a notch almost every aspect of the story. So it was a lot of fun. I think we lucked out with the writer's room, the group of people that were with you there that were talented during, before, and especially after. I mean, they all went on to their own. Most of them went on to their mm-hmm. own hit shows. Yeah. When you went to MIP, to the television market there with E1 that uh, I guess it would have been May of 2009. It ended up in 42 territories. And I don't know if I told you this, but I got emails from people in uh, Munich in Germany that were fans of the show. Like it played in 40 countries. Yeah. And MIP in May, they do it for film in Cannes, France. And in October is for television. So we're there in October. That was quite an experience, trying to sell the show, which we were successful at. It was a uh, it was a whole new experience. Entertainment One and the networks really surrounded me with some great people, like real professionals. And, you know, at the time there was some frustration too because I know what we'd put on the screen was watered down and, you know, it was, and then I had to say a lot of times I spoke to different networks around the world when we are plugging it like they're saying okay that's what's there but what really happened i would tell them the story and they would be in awe and they said why can't you get that on the screen i said because we're network i mean cbs you know just look at at their network and ctv which was great you know the two biggest networks in either in, in in the u.s and canada yeah but it was sometimes frustrating and you know the the good news is you're with the network the bad news is you're with a, a network when it comes you're, to storytelling yeah, in, in 2009, CBS was producing 14 of the top 20 shows globally. Yeah, no, so they're their, incredible networks. And you know what? They were really good to work with. Both networks were good. I mainly dealt with Yvonne Fasson. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. And I got to meet Nina Tassler, who was running the network at the time with CBS. And some of the people we met there were really good, good people. Pam Sober, remember Pam? From Peterborough, Ontario. One of the big executives of CBS at the time. Oh, she was so professional to deal with. And uh, very honest. And that's all I ever asked for from anybody is, you know, honesty and loyalty. You know, what I, what I took from the street as a copper, I took that into the boardroom of uh, running a, a, a TV show. And uh, it worked. You know, we had some moments. Uh, you know, I had some partners that you remember when I had to go and see uh, Fasan to get CTV to pick up the show again. Yeah. He had a problem with one of my partners. I knew that he was wanted to do the show but Yvonne's a guy that warrants respect whether you want to give it or not incredibly powerful man in the industry I call him a friend and he made it clear to me you know I'll do this for you we'll we'll do this let's do the pilot but it's probably best if your partner who has caused me a little bit of grief over the years gets down there and and does some sucking up and I said is that all it's going to take he says yes Bro, that's all that's going on. I said, okay. So I called all the partners together in a boardroom. I left CTV up in Asian Court, went right downtown. I got all the producers together, and I said, um, okay, here's the story. We, we, you know, we, we lost 10 hours, but he's going to give us a chance for the pilot. And the pilot is a go. And they're like, no, we got to, con- you know, let's fight. I said, listen, you guys do what you want with the lawyers. I'm going to do the pilot. You go fight them. You're going to go fight the biggest network in the world. The decision will be five years from now. You'll spend a million bucks on legal, and you're probably going to lose. I'm going to go with the pilot. Who's with me? 
And by the way, there's somebody in the room here that has to go down, and you better suck up to Yvonne Fasson right now. And it's all quiet. There's 12 of us in the room. And this gentleman stands up, starts stretching. And one of the producers said, where are you going? He says, I'm going up to agent court and start sucking up to Fasson. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I knew then. Okay, that's how this works. It went from, we're going to take him to court, we're going to fuck with him, we're going to do this and that. And I said, let me make common sense out of this issue here, okay? Yeah. Yeah. This is how it's going to play out if you challenge him. Yeah, I'm going to get up to the agent court. <laughs> yeah, 3.30 in the afternoon. At 3.30 yeah. in rush hour. I think he made it up there in 20 minutes from downtown. Yeah. Oh, God, buddy. We're just. I'm going to go fast forward here when... Uh, John Fawcett, great director. Another guy so happy we brought on because he probably did half the shows, half the episodes. When were they filming something I just thought was really weird, like really weird? And we're outside, and I showed up, and it's all this weird stuff going on because I didn't want that. I wanted some real hard, you know, movie conversation, French connection, no bullshit, no dreams, none of like that, just... Show it as if the audience is sitting beside the actor, almost like a docudrama. I didn't want any freaky stuff. And I look and said, what is, we showed up at the site. And I said, what's going on? And then Fawcett said to me, and you were standing behind me. Yeah, I was behind, behind you. We showed up and the first thing we spotted was a 1980 yellow Chevrolet Caprice Scout car like from a period piece and Stuart Margolin, the great character actor and television director from Rockford Files was in a three-piece suit heavily makeup color dyed his hair and obviously it looked like a cop show from 1970 yeah, so Stuart was angel on the Rockford Files on the Rockford Files and he was a- and at this point he's probably 70 he played the lead character's father Actually, you end up directing one of her episodes. What a great guy. But he looked like a 70-year-old with makeup on. So you immediately said, "What the? what's going on here? And we just had a great halibut and chips in the Queen. <laughs> yeah. Well, we I wasn't going to tell the audience that, okay? Yeah, well, listen. So we get We there come back from lunch. Let's put it that and, way. And we go, and you go, what's going on here, John? And John turns around, and he goes, well, this is the Fellini sequence. And I'm behind you, and you go, what's a Fellini? <laughs> you know, big women, midgets, listen, that surrealist cinema. And I'm going, stop, stop. And you go, what the? <laughs> you start swearing. Is this a cop show or what? And you're flipping out. And you said a couple of raw things about. No, I wanted to know if the midgets were doing the fat women. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just what I didn't know. What he, I didn't know who Fellini was. I didn't know he was a, one of the top Italian directors of men yeah, of, of all, all time. time. I never heard. That's how raw I was. I never heard of this. I said, what the fuck is a Fellini? And I was panicking. Surrealist, this, that. You're going, what is going on? Here? Why is he dressed like that? What is going on? And I, I remember that night I went and talked to the transport coordinator and I said, do you really want a nightmare scene? I want you to go down to Scollard where the executive producer, the head writer, Alan lives, turn this 1979 cop car, put the sirens on around midnight 
He'll come up to the balcony. He'll think he's losing his mind, having a flashback. And we were going to do that. There was another Um, moment where we built a big studio. They were doing a dream sequence. And I'm not going to say who, but I walk in and it's like, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And and one of the, I won't say who, one of the writers said, well, this is the dream sequence. You know, like the Sopranos. I said, once we're into season five and we're as popular as the Sopranos, we're going to do a fucking dream. We're not doing a dream sequence. It looked fucking weird. We're not going to pull this off, right? It's too early for us. Well, I've always wanted to do a dream sequence. I said, well, go get your own fucking show and do a dream sequence. You're not doing a dream sequence on this. It looks terrible. Yeah. We'll let the network decide. I said, okay, do it. We'll send it down on the dailies. And if one of the two networks comes back, you'll do the dream sequence. Because it looked brutal. I had to be honest. I just didn't want to do it. Both networks came back, and they're yelling at me. (laughs) Why why are you doing a dream sequence? (laughs) What is this? Yeah. So... We must have a copy of it somewhere. It didn't make air. It didn't go there. Like they were the same. Okay, season five, we'll do the dream sequence. Yeah, it was. A, it was a, a time. It was a big learning learning year. Those two years from 08 to two thousand and ten, when it got on the air. Uh, and remember, when it got on the air, they kind of buried it Friday night at ten p.m. Oh yeah, we, our it time slots were terrible. Hard. Yeah, yeah. Graveyard was, slot, and it's still got 1.1 million. No, it 1. did. Yeah, million. we were one of the top. We had the uh, big accident during the car chase. Remember that? Yeah. That I think scary. that was our last day of filming. Near the end. We almost had a stunt year. guy get decapitated with the Russian arm, and thank God he's okay. I mean, it was it was close, man. It was right. There was a lot of people sick that day, but it came out okay. And that's the reality I wanted. I wanted car chases. I wanted all that. I wanted stuff that people didn't, the guts to do now. And we, we, we pulled, Dennis, we pulled it off, man. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more. I mean, you've made some great, we should post the videos you've made too. You made some great little mini documentaries. It's all behind the scenes and it shows the lightning and thunderstorms we were shooting the pilot in because it rained heavily. 15 out of the 24 shooting days that July and August of yeah, 2000. We had the worst proof. we had the worst summer of the previous yeah. 25 years for rain. Yeah. But they pulled rain. it off. That that's when I saw the magic of the the talent in the industry. The I'm like we're I mean we're losing if we had to shut down for a day we're out 250 $300,000. Still got to pay everybody, you know. I'll tell you my proudest moment. Cuz a I was you know, at the time, considered one of the top union guys out there. Did a union show, book cops. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of unions that were part of the team, part of the sure. staff. And I didn't know this until after. There was a hidden bar. We, we travel. It's called the circus. We had all these transport trucks, a couple of dozen of them, the whatever. And there was, there was a hidden bar on one of them. The grip truck. Grip truck. The producers and the executives never get on that truck. No. So we were shooting once. We were at the studio. Yeah. And we we finally shut down, 13-hour day at 2 o'clock. And I remember a couple of the grips come and say, listen, come with us. We want to see you. And I thought, oh, God. like what? I was still balancing out, making sure everybody was happy, right? And I go in this truck, and they, re- I think it was a, a fake wall, and they remove this wall, and there's this beautiful 
man cave lounge. lounge. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. We would be honored if you had a drink with us. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You don't mess with the grips. Yeah, they were hardworking. They're these, man, they were soldiers. They reminded me of the guys in 51. Yeah. They were a good group of people, man. And I hit it off. Apparently, I was one that got invited on. And we uh, we had a great time. I think we were back at 7 in the morning to shoot again. But It was a great time. All the departments, you got along well with all the wardrobe, hair, makeup, the art directors, the production designers, um, the camera, the grip guys. Everybody was uh, top level. When they bragged about Toronto Crews, that's not... That's not fiction. It, it's world class. It's a world uh, class. That's why there's so much filming here. I mean, they're not bringing in that talent from all over. They're using the talent here in Canada. The A and B camera guys, they're, they're tech people, just second to none. It yeah. made it look so good. And we, we had a couple of crazy few days of car chases and all that, you know, Blue Revitic and all that, shutting down and helicopters and stuff. And I think yeah. we had 35 pay duty cops at some point. And these guys just were able to pull it off. The staff, the, the the tech people, it was just incredible. I never lost confidence in pulling this off because of them. And we would be sending the dailies out. And it's hard to deal with one network. We were dealing with two networks that both thought they were the center of the universe. Yeah. And it was, you know, to pass the smell test each day on what you filmed was pretty tough. But I don't remember a day that they came back and anybody said, redo it. Right, and it was all because of the staff and the personnel we had doing it. The cast, they all got along. I mean, our, yeah. you know, our A cast, uh, our regulars. It was just all that. There's got to be a lot of luck because people have been around for twenty, twenty five years are telling me horror stories about it. I mean, my attitude was I would just have you know, the law firm veto, veto, and veto have a word with people that are acting up. I mean, that was how it was going to happen there. You know. The, the, yeah. The three vetoes were going to come in and take care of business. Like, but we never had to deal with that. We never had a horror story during the filming, right? Going into season two, which is another show, was a whole different animal. Because yeah. we did have an order for season two, and then just shit hit the fan. But it was yeah, incredible, buddy. And Wendy reaching out to me brought it all back. It was incredible. We got to put something on paper. Yeah. Well... We should get, uh, once we get the vaccinations, things calm down. I think we should, uh, we should go back out to LA, revisit the old stomping grounds and we'll put some stuff on paper about the building and the burning of the bridge. Thanks my friend. Great memories. Thanks everybody for joining us. This is cop water. See you soon. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> 